Hey church, today we're finishing up our series called Resilient. We've been talking about how every emotion that we experience, the difficult ones, emotions like fear and anger and shame, and today we're going to talk about grief. We're talking in this series about how each of these emotions can be either good or bad. Emotions aren't bad. Emotions are at best neutral, but we can harness them for good. That's what it means to be resilient. Or we can allow the enemy to get the best of us, and we can allow those emotions to draw us away from God. And today we're talking about grief, and I think this is one of the emotions. When I think about emotions that pull people away from God, this one might be at the very top of the list. In my many years of ministry, I have seen so many people experience deep grief, a lot of times over bereavement. We'll talk about that today and they don't know how to process it. And that deep sense of loss leads them to a dark place where they give up on their pursuit of God. And today we're gonna to talk about how to keep that from happening. Now look, before we get into this topic, I, I wanna make sure that I don't minimize what anyone is going through. Maybe you've come to this podcast and you're experiencing a deep, deep sense of grief. Maybe in the last year, you lost a loved one. Maybe you're trying to process that. The last thing you want is to hear some pastor trying to sort of wave a magic wand to make your grief go away. I promise you that is not what we're going to be doing today. Grief is real. Grief is difficult, especially those of you who have experienced a deep sense of loss. I want to acknowledge that I'm not going to give some cheap, cheesy answer to your grief today but I do want to give you hope. I do want to show you how in three different types of grief, and we're going to talk about bereavement at the end, but we're also going to talk about some other grief that you might experience in your life. And I want to talk about how you can harness that deep sense of sadness and come out on the other side with a better relationship with God, not a worse one. But I want to start with what not to say to the grieving and this is a reminder for me, because I think that I've been in a place before where I've tried to help people who are dealing with a deep sense of grief, and I think sometimes I've thrown cheap, easy statements at them. We've got a topic about this. I'll put a link to it below in our Pursue God resources. Three things that I promise we're not going to say to you, and maybe you're listening to this because you're trying to help somebody who's experiencing grief. Don't say these three things to those people. Number one, don't say, you need to get over it and move on. You know, to the grieving, it feels like you're telling them how to grieve. Look, I, for one, am not going to pretend to tell someone how to grieve their deep sense of loss. You know, I think sometimes when I'm helping someone pastorally, I feel this pressure to make it better. I feel this pressure to say something to make things better for them. In fact, uh, some good friends of mine who lost their daughter in this last year have helped me to understand what not to say. And you can't tell someone to get over it. You can't tell someone to move on. Everyone experiences grief differently, and everyone needs the space and the time to do it their way. In fact, don't even say, time will heal all wounds. To the grieving, time is more the enemy than a helpful friend, especially at the beginning. Time just feels like they're moving further and further away from their last memories with their loved one. So let's all make a commitment not to say something cheap like, time will heal all wounds. 
And one more thing not to say to those who are experiencing deep grief, don't say, hey, stay strong. I admit it. I confess. I've said this, I'm sure, many times. Again, I don't mean to be rude or obnoxious or insensitive. So I'm not saying that if you've ever said one of these things, you're a terrible person. Well, then if that's the case, I'm a terrible person. It's just not helpful to say to someone, hey, stay strong. They don't want to be strong. They want their loved one back. They're experiencing a deep sense of grief, and they need to spend some time in their grief. So those are three things not to say to the grieving, and I'm going to do my best not to cheapen your grief. If you're listening this to this today and you're experiencing a deep sense of grief, I'm not going to cheapen it by what I say, but I do want to give you some encouragement from God's Word. Now, today we're going to talk about three types of grief and how to harness them for good. And we're going to get to bereavement at the end. So if that's you today, if you're experiencing this deep sense of loss, then I just want to encourage you to keep listening to the end. And I want you to be encouraged by the fact that Jesus himself experienced the grief that you're going through. John eleven thirty five. 35, it's one of the shortest verses in the whole Bible. It just simply says, Jesus wept. And the context for that was that his friend Lazarus had died. We're going to talk a little bit more about this situation in just a little bit, but I want you to know that Jesus experienced the grief that you're experiencing even now. Now, first, I want to make a theological note, and I, you know, this maybe goes without saying, but I think it's helpful to remember this. Grief, sorrow, was not a part of Eden. It wasn't a part of the world at the beginning. God didn't create a world with grief in it. Grief was something that came after the fall. So sorrow wasn't a part of Eden, and it also won't be a part of heaven. Revelation 21.4 says, He will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. See, the theological truth is that sorrow and grief is a result of the fall. It's a result of sin. Sin lies at the root of it. Now, that doesn't mean that it's necessarily your sin or somebody else's sin. But the reason that we experience grief is because the conditions of loss exist at the heart of the human experience because we're all broken and sinful. And not just it's not just us who are broken and sinful, but the world is broken and sinful. Death itself is a result of a sinful world. And so let's remember that sin is behind grief, but that doesn't mean that grief has to have the final word. That doesn't mean that grief has to be bad all the time. We can still harness grief for good, and that's what we're going to talk about in each of these three types of grief. Type number one, I'm going to just call it victim grief. And here's my question for you. Are you experiencing grief because of someone else's sin against you? In other words, you're the victim of somebody's sin. Some of you out there listening have experienced deep relational wounds. And along with those deep wounds comes a deep sense of grief. I've experienced this personally, and I know that many of you have experienced this. My wife and I recently, in the last several years, have had to endure some really difficult interpersonal relationships with some people in our lives. There have been some false accusations, some things that feel, it, it's felt to both of us just very unjust, and it's been incredibly hurtful. 
And honestly, when I think about the topic of grief, I can't personally relate to some of the bereavement that some of you listening have experienced, but I can relate to this one. But for some of you, if you've experienced a deep relational wound, it really does feel like grief. In fact, you'll hit some of the stages of grief. I know Tracy and I, we have. You know, we've, we've experienced deep anger. Man, we feel so angry sometimes when, when people are sinning against us. Maybe you've experienced that as well. And then it's turned to like deep sadness and almost depression. And here's the thing. Here's the thing with victim grief. And, and this is what I want you to pay attention to. At the end of the day, it creates a desire in you to pull away. And that's how you know when it's bad. That's how you know that the enemy wants to harness that grief that you're experiencing because of someone else's sin. Someone has sinned against you and it hurts so deeply that you want to pull away. First of all, you want to pull away from people. And I want you to know today that that is exactly where the enemy wants you. He wants you to pull away from people because when he can get you to do that, when he can get you to be isolated, then he can get you to pull away from God. And this is the opposite of resilient. Remember, to be resilient means to allow that grief, even grief because someone has sinned against you, allow that to pull you closer to God, but the enemy wants to get you to be bitter and angry, and he wants to pull you further and further away, not just from people, but from God himself. In fact, this is really what happened in the very first sin in the Garden of Eden, Genesis 3. It says that after Adam and Eve sinned, the Bible says that they hid from the Lord among the trees. What does that sound like? That sounds like pulling away. That sounds like isolation. Their sin caused them to want to pull away from God. So here's the question. How can victim grief possibly be good? How do you harness when somebody else has deeply wounded you? How can you possibly turn that into something positive, into something good? Well, I want to just suggest two things, and it's literally the opposite of what the enemy wants to do. Remember, the enemy wants to get you to pull away from people, but I want to challenge you that if you experience these, these deep wounds because of someone's sin against you, I want to encourage you to open yourself up to deeper relationships with safer people. See, the, the Bible says that God gives us people to support us in our grief. So when you want to isolate yourself, I want to challenge you, instead of falling for that, I want to challenge you to engage with others. Find safe people. I'm not saying re-engage with those people who wounded you. That's not probably going to be the answer. Engage with people who can truly understand what you're going through and who are going to speak life into you. Romans 12, 15, it says, be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Find people in your world, find people in your church who will weep with you, who will grieve with you. I can tell you for Tracy and myself, this has been the solution. When we have been so deeply wounded by a few, a handful of people in our life, a handful of people, really, it's not a large amount of people. But isn't this true that you can allow that one or two or three people to just ruin relationships in general for you? That's exactly what the enemy wants to do. But for us, what we've disciplined ourselves to do is to really think about all of the wonderful, godly people who are going to be happy with us and are going to grieve with us. And we've found so many of those people. And, and so the victim grief that we've experienced, we've actually 
allowed that to draw us into deeper relationships with those safe, healthy people in our lives. And here's a second way that you can harness that victim grief for good. You can open yourself up to a deeper relationship with God. Psalm 73, this is a Psalm of David where he says this, then I realized that my heart was bitter and I was all torn up inside. Okay, so pause and think about that for you. For Tracy and I, this is kind of where we were. That victim grief put us in this place where where we wanted to just sort of sit in our victim mentality. We wanted to be bitter. We were all torn up inside. And so many people just stop right there. But I love what the psalmist says in verse 23. He says this, Yet I still belong to you. You hold my right hand. The psalmist is modeling for us what to do with that deep sense of betrayal. We can turn toward God and say, I need you more. I recognize you're with me. Help me to help me to draw closer to you in, in the context of this terrible thing that somebody has done to me, rather than to push you away. This is how you can harness victim grief for good. Now, there's a second kind of grief. It's kind of the other side of the victim grief, and I'm going to just call it today guilt grief. We talked about guilt and shame last week. But guilt, guilt grief is when you're the one who has done the sinning. So here's my question for you. Are you experiencing grief over your own sin? That's a completely different ballpark. You know, it's one thing when somebody sins against you and to experience that deep sorrow because of that, because they hurt you. But it's another thing to experience this deep sense of grief that comes from your own poor choices. Peter is an example of this. Matthew chapter 26, verse 75, it says, Suddenly Jesus' words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows, you will deny three times that you even know me. And Peter went away weeping bitterly. Peter denied Jesus. Jesus even called it. He predicted it. Peter denied Jesus. And we see, we see what Peter's response was. He wept bitterly. What is that called? That is called guilt grief. He was experiencing this deep, bitter sense of grief because he recognized that he himself is a sinner. Have you ever been to the place where you experience this deep sadness over your own sin? I want you to hear this today. That is a good thing. C.S. Lewis wrote, God whispers to us in our pleasure, but he shouts to us in our pain. If you're experiencing the pain of guilt and shame because of your own sin, that is what God wants to do. He wants to allow that to lead you into a relationship with him, to bring you closer to the cross. Like we talked about last week with shame and guilt, 2 Corinthians 7.10, it says, for the kind of sorrow or grief that God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow, but worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance, results in spiritual death. When that rooster crowed, Peter was experiencing godly sorrow. That's what this verse is talking about. It's a sorrow where he recognizes his need for a savior. He recognizes what Jesus did for him. He recognizes that he's broken and sinful and wrong. And he turned to God in the context of that. 
Now, this passage, 2 Corinthians 7, talks about a different kind of sorrow, and that's worldly sorrow. That's the kind of sorrow that lacks repentance. Repentance is is this this deep desire, this new attitude of your heart that says, I want to go God's way. I want to go God's way. And worldly sorrow lacks that kind of attitude. I mean, think about the person who sinned against you in the first type of grief that we just talked about. Wouldn't it be nice if they experienced godly sorrow? One of the reasons that you're so bitter, one of the reasons it's so hard to let go of that is because they're not experiencing godly sorrow. They're not convicted of their sin against you. They're just going on and they're living out their best life and they're, they've hurt you. They've offended you. You've probably prayed that God would convict them. You've probably prayed that God would bring godly sorrow over their own sin. Now think about it for you. Have you ever experienced that kind of sorrow over your own sin? Maybe some of you need to just pause this podcast right now and give God an opportunity to shine that flashlight. I mean, this is what he does, man. He It's more than a flashlight. It's like a spotlight. The Holy Spirit wants to shine a spotlight on your soul, and he wants to purify what you value. He wants you to evaluate what really matters to God. He wants you to evaluate your lifestyle. Some of you maybe are living in a lifestyle of sin, and you're going to church, and you're calling yourself a follower of Jesus. You're calling yourself a Christian, but you are actively struggling with unrepentant sin. God wants you to pause this podcast right now and get right with him. He wants wants that grief that you experience over your own sin. He wants that grief to bring you to a place of true repentance so that at the foot of the cross, you can experience the freedom that we can only find in Jesus. This is how guilt grief can be a good thing. It was a good thing for Peter, and it can be a good thing for you as well. And one last type of grief that we need to talk about, I told you we would talk about this, and again, maybe some of you are experiencing this right now, the grief over the loss of a loved one. This is called bereavement. And here's a few things I want you to know about this. I think it's really important for you to know this. We've already made some some theological statements about where grief comes from, and it comes ultimately comes from sin. And I want you to know that death is bad. Death is not good. It's not a part of God's original plan. Back to the story of Jesus weeping over the death of his friend Lazarus in John chapter 11. Jesus ends up going over to that home. His his sister Mary was there, and he sees her weeping, and he sees the other people wailing with her. And the Bible says that a deep anger welled up within Jesus, and he was deeply troubled. In fact, it says later on that Jesus was still angry as he arrived at the tomb. Isn't it interesting that Jesus, in the midst of his grief, and it says that he wept there, but in the midst of his grief, he was angry. Why was Jesus angry? It's and I think Jesus was angry at death. Jesus knew that death is bad. It's not a part of God's original plan. I'm, I'm sure some of you are saying, well, of course, Captain Obvious, death is bad. I know death is bad. That's what I'm experiencing. I just want you to know that Jesus doesn't just, you know, again, wave that sort of magic wand over and say, oh, it's fine. Everything's going to be fine. Death is bad. And that's why we grieve. We grieve because something's wrong. Jesus knew something was wrong. 
But the question I want to answer for you today is how can this possibly be good? How can I harness this deep sense of loss over a loved one? How can I possibly see the light at the end of the tunnel on this one? I don't know how this is ever going to change. I don't know how this is ever going to get better. And look, the truth is that it's never going to get back to the way it was before. That sense of loss will always be there. That person isn't there anymore. I mean, until you get to heaven, and remember the Bible says that there is no sorrow or death or crying or pain in heaven. This side of heaven, there's still going to be a sense of loss. There's no way around that. But yet even bereavement can be used for good. Even even that type of pain, maybe not right now, but at some point down the road, can be used for good. Here are a few ways. First of all, sorrow can be good when God uses our sadness to help others with their sorrow. You know, experiencing sorrow and this deep sense of loss can make you a more compassionate person. An example of this in our lives and in our church is a woman named Joanne. This is a woman who lost her son, her daughter-in-law, and her two grandchildren on the same day. And it was devastating, absolutely devastating. And she went through all the stages of grief and it hit her in waves over and over for years. But here's what's amazing about Joanne's story is at the end of the day, she has walked alongside so many other women and men as they've experienced their grief. And she allowed this sadness. She harnessed this deep sense of sadness when the time was right. Not, she didn't do this right away, but when the time was right and she looked outward and she began to show empathy and care for others, and she's helped so many people deal with their deep sense of loss. Maybe for you, that'll be part of your story. Now, again, if you've experienced that loss recently, maybe it's not going to be right away. But I want to encourage you to even at some point make that a part of your prayer. God, how do you want to use this to help somebody else in my life? I think that is one of the most powerful ways to harness this deep sense of grief for good. Not just for your good. It'll help you. It'll enlarge your soul. But for the good of somebody else who's experiencing that deep loss. You know, the second thing is that this deep sense of grief can draw us closer to Jesus. Psalm 34, 18 says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. I'm going to read that again. And some of you might want to write that one down. I think scripture memory can be helpful if you're really struggling with your grief. Psalm 34, 18 is one that is worth memorizing. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. Why? Why is that true? Why is God close to the brokenhearted? I think Isaiah 53, verses 3 to 4 in the Old Testament, this prophet Isaiah is prophesying about Jesus. I think it gives us a clue there. It says there that Jesus, he was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. The Bible says that Jesus is acquainted with our deepest grief. This is one of the most powerful things about the incarnation of Christ. Incarnation means that that Jesus took on flesh and made his dwelling among us. He didn't just stay in heaven. 
He didn't just, you know, live in the riches and the perfection of a relationship with the Father and the Holy Spirit in heaven. He actually came down and he and he took on our experience. He experienced humanity and everything that goes along with it to include grief. So Jesus was a man of sorrows. He was acquainted with deepest grief. I want to encourage you that Jesus understands your grief if you're grieving today. I recognize I don't. I acknowledge that. But Jesus does. Jesus knows exactly what you're going through. In fact, verse 4 says that it was our weakness he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. Remember, grief exists because sin exists. And Jesus came to deal with that sin problem. Jesus came and he, he took on our weakness. He took on our sorrows. It was our sin and our sorrows that weighed him down. In fact, this is really, at the end of the day, what grief is good for, is it points us to the ultimate hope. And that ultimate hope is in Jesus himself. That's why 1 Thessalonians 4 says that, and now, dear brothers, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died. So you will not grieve like people who have no hope. I read that verse at every funeral I ever perform. I'll read it again. We want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died, so you will not grieve like people who have no hope. If you're grieving today, the loss of a loved one who is in Christ, I want to encourage you that there's a difference between grieving with hope and grieving without hope. It goes on and it says in verse 14, Since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. And this is why we have hope. Sorrow, grief, points us to the ultimate hope. I want to encourage you, if you're experiencing a deep sense of grief today, I want to encourage you to turn to Jesus, not to turn away from Jesus. That's what it means to be resilient. You know, in this whole series, we've talked about different emotions like anger and fear and shame. And today we're talking about grief. But this whole thing has really been about going to God and saying, God, I want to I turn to you in my deep emotional distress. I don't want to turn away from you. I don't want to turn my back on you. I want to turn to you. Because the Bible says that God is a God who is for us. He's not against us. That God wants us to bring our deepest sadness to him. God wants us to lay that stuff at the foot of the cross. God wants us to give our hearts to him. Remember how we started this series way back in week one. Our theme verse for the series was Proverbs 4.23. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Now remember, your heart is your whole inner person. It's the seat of your mind, your will, and your emotions. The Bible teaches that those things are all connected. That all makes up your inner person. And God wants your emotional life to lead you into a relationship with him. That's why we need to guard our hearts. And when it comes to grief, we really need to guard our hearts. Because you can allow your grief to determine the course of your life one way or the other. It can either bring you further away from God or it can lead you right to the cross. 
Remember what Jeremiah 17, 9 said? The human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? The bad news in the Bible is that our hearts are fundamentally broken because of sin. And along with that, then, the enemy wants to use your grief to bring you away from Jesus. But the good news is that God can change our hearts in an instant. You know, if you're coming to the end of this series and you've never placed your faith in Jesus before, maybe you've been sort of dipping your toe in the water and seeing what you thought about your emotions and what the Bible says about your emotions. I hope by the end of this series now, I hope you recognize that God is good and that God wants to give us new hearts. Well, the truth is that's the only way we can be resilient. You can't be resilient apart from faith in Jesus. Remember, this wasn't a self-help series. This isn't about just you being a better version of you. This is ultimately about turning to Jesus and letting him change you from the inside out. Ezekiel 36, 26 promises, God speaking here, I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. Today, if you want to give your heart to Jesus, I want to encourage you to sit down with a friend, with a trusted Christian friend or a pastor and say, I'm ready to do that. I want to I come to Jesus. I want to give him my heart. I recognize my heart's broken. I recognize my emotions are messed up. I recognize I won't ever be resilient until I turn to Jesus in faith. And I want to encourage you to do that today. Tell him that you recognize you're a sinner. Tell him that you acknowledge that Jesus went to the cross and died for you there. And that he nailed your anger and your fear, and your shame, and even your grief. He nailed it all to the cross. Give Jesus your heart and trust him to make you resilient.